0: You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. I want to put the title of my message up tonight. Great faith is persistent faith. How many of you saw my graphic on Facebook? Did you see the cute little puppy with the tongue hanging out as my I got a picture of a puppy under the table because you know the scripture. That, of course, gives away what I'm talking about tonight, the story of uh, the Syrophoenician woman or the Canaanite woman, depending on which gospel that you read it from. Great faith is persistent faith, and I want to start by reading Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 through 3, and then we're going to skip down to verse 6. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, we already know that faith is a must in the universe of God. It says here, of course, that we cannot even please God without faith because God has done everything by faith. The world was made by faith in that by the words he spoke. We speak words of faith. That faith is powerful. If we have even the smallest amount of faith employed or that we are using at a given time, Jesus says its potency is so extreme that it could move a mountain. And I like to think that he wasn't necessarily exaggerating. Because look what he did with faith. And that's what the passage says. In the beginning, he made all things by faith, with faith. When there was nothing, when there was no existence, all he said was let there be light, and there was light. He spoke those words because he believed. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Before God spoke that, he hoped for it, he thought of it, he imagined it. And out of his mind, because God is just like us, he has mind, emotions, will. We are made in his image and likeness. Out of that he spoke, he said light, and light became. And from that came all matter that we know. We know that the Bible says in the beginning, he created the heavens and the the, um, earth, that word create there is bara. In the Hebrew it means to make something out of nothing. So he made from nothing something. Uh, Jesus even did this every once in a while on earth, if you recall. There were times when people did not have a proper hand or something was missing. He could actually make something come where there was nothing. That's very powerful. But often what we're called to do in life is make things out of the things that we have. When we make something, if I say, you know, I could really go for some uh, nice potato salad I could commission probably half the people in here. It's not rocket science to make potato salad. You could do that for me. And we'd have, of course, different varieties. But you would have to have potatoes. You don't just imagine potato and a potato shows in your hands. So we make things from things. And God can provide those things. But God, in the realm of the supernatural, goes beyond what we have, the evidence in the loaves and the fish, that he could take natural things and somehow supernaturally create out of it, but he first needed faith, and in that case, the faith of Jesus, but faith is so important, and I never grow tired of speaking about faith because it is foundational, and it is exactly what Jesus is looking for when he comes to earth. I make sure that in every single message I'm preaching faith, because if he comes back right now, it says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Well, you found me talking about it, if not anything else. But I also believe in my whole heart And I speak those words that I believe, and I've seen many amazing things happen. And I know that there is no other path to become pleasing to our Father except the path of faith. How many of you could agree with that? So that's believing. That's how you got saved. You believe that He is first, and then He's a rewarder. And that He will bless you, take care of you, provide for you. And we are charged by the Bible to walk not by sight, but um, by faith. And so we do not walk by sight, we walk by faith. But do you know that there are different kinds or calibers of faith? So it says in the Bible that to every man a measure of faith is given. You need faith to get saved. It says that you're saved by grace, or that by faith, and that it's not of yourself, it's a gift of God. So faith is given to you as a gift. I believe that every single person has faith, but they're all different calibers almost like bullets in a gun. You have many different calibers of ammunition for different guns. When I was a boy, I had a BB gun, and it had a little pellet in it, and you had to pump it with air 10 times and shoot it out. It was enough to break bottles, and I would pump up the little gun and shoot. That's one caliber, right? But then I went with a friend of mine who had a a 12-gauge double-barrel shotgun, and I had only shot up to that moment a BB gun. And he said, here, would you like to shoot? And I said, sure. And it looked like one of those uh, YouTube videos where you see the fails. It it threw me back and boom, it was like an explosion. Because it's such a big difference in the caliber. Now I say BB gun, shotgun, because I find in the Bible that Jesus spoke about two extremes of faith. Uh, One type of faith, that he talked about was little faith. There's five times in the Bible where he says, Oh, you of little faith. I don't know about you, but I don't want that reputation. I don't want to be someone of little faith. And actually, these these forms of little faith show up in three basic categories. One is concerning provision. Matthew 6.30. Now, if... God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will He not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith! Meaning, we worry about clothes. We worry about um, what we're going to wear. These are the provisions of life. Matthew sixteen eight. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, "Oh, you of little faith! Why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread?" So we're worried about food. We're worried about things. That worry. In the eyes of Jesus, causes him to see that in your life you are a little faith person. It's not to criticize you, it's just like a measurement. I'm not criticizing a BB when I say it is a BB. One time, and you know, people who are not fond of guns at all might not like my stories, but uh, one time I actually killed a vermin with a BB gun, a big one, a possum, that was infesting our house in Mexico. And he would climb on top of our air conditioner. In the middle of the night and you would hear the noise and you pull the curtain back and when you would you would see <laughs> and he would like hiss it's so scary and and he would also tear the vines off the side of the house it was a vermin a pest so all i had was a bb gun <laughs> and i went out there and it took like you know 30 shots i was like you're die i'll show you like i kept doing I did it so many times. I think the sheer weight of pellets stuck in him is why he finally died. I know that sounds really cruel, and you know anybody that's into the protection of animals, but you know he was not chewing on your house. I had to do away with it. The horrible part of that story is that he did die, but he slowly first he played dead because he's awesome, and that's what they do. So I thought, oh, he's dead. It was 3 a.m. I'll get him in the morning. I went in the morning. He was not there. But I could tell where he had gone because there was a trail of blood that walked. And he walked behind the houses where he died and then rotted in the gutter. And the stink was horrible. And I, surely I diverged from my point. But anyway. Little faith can still be useful. It's just not as effective. If I'd had the right kind of gun, I could have easily... You know, taking I could have used a taser and tased him off, and then done something more humane with him. But whatever the case, different caliber. Here we see, in the realm of provision, we often have little faith, fears of life. But he said to them, in Matthew eight twenty six, "Why are you fearful, O you of little faith?" Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. This is, of course, when a great squall, a tempest blast. Rose on the sea, the disciples are in the boat with him, and they're afraid, Master, help us! They're petrified. Well, to him, he saw that as little faith. If you're always freaking out because of the wind and the rain, and hurricanes and storms, well, then you're really not trusting him entirely. And I've been through hurricanes growing up, and I've had damage on houses to it, and it's not fun. But ultimately, we can believe God and have faith in spite of that. Another area is walking in the supernatural. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand to Peter and caught him and said to him, Oh you of little faith, why did you doubt? Because when it came to walking on the water like Jesus did, he started out well, but it turned out that his faith was not of the caliber necessary to sustain himself on the water or stay there. When he saw the winds and the waves, he was worried about it, and he sank down in the water. So we see all of these. The Bible, by the way, Speaks a lot more frequently about little faith, or even no faith, than it does about extremes of faith. So the other extreme of what the Bible calls great faith is actually rare, and it only appears two times in Scripture. Now there are the people who demonstrate great faith, but I'm talking about two times when Jesus actually says it. And one of those stories is with the Syrophoenician woman or the Canaanite woman. And in this message, we're going to look at this story in Matthew chapter 15 to see seven steps to great faith. Because we need to develop ourselves. In other words, I believe that you can start off with little faith, but that you can grow. That we can expand in our faith, we can develop in our faith, and I think it is our obligation to develop. Uh, our belief our understanding our spiritual and natural lives to be better able to please the heavenly father if faith is used to please him stands a reason that great faith will please him more than little faith because every time he mentions little faith he's a little unhappy about it he doesn't reject them outright he's just commissioning them to grow in faith little faith people look you need to do better than this and he says that to us and we grow. I don't mind the Lord rebuking me. I don't mind the Lord correcting me when I'm worried about the kind of things we just saw. Because I'm, I'm often worried about those things. But I'm growing and I'm learning and I want to be like this woman. So I believe in the story are these seven steps that will kind of help us know how can we develop great faith. So we start with number one. A cry for mercy. Matthew 15, 21 says, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. So here this woman is coming to Jesus. There's a cry for mercy. The woman had a daughter that was suffering and tormented. She desperately wanted to do something to help her daughter, just like any of us would. We all would want, if our children suffer in any way, that is the greatest desperation I have ever felt. The number one prayer of parents to God when their child is suffering is, give it to me. Immediately, without thinking, Is not true. You always you just tell the Lord, I'll take it. Whatever the sickness, whatever the disease, whatever it may be, just I would rather take it. Because we feel so helpless that we can't do much. But We depend upon God. We go to God and we believe just like this woman is. So this is the depths of desperation. This is the realm in which mercy is truly necessitated. There has to be some type of mercy because mercy is required at a moment when you do not have control when you cannot make any difference, when you've done everything you know how to do, but there's nothing left to do if you are not able to do or pay back a debt, like in the story of the man that was indebted and he asked, have mercy on me, and he had mercy on him, and he forgave him the debt. The mercy of God toward us sent Jesus to die on the cross so that we could have our sins paid for or our iniquities, because we can't pay for that. This woman's in the same state. I'm sure that she has already done all that she could, much like the woman with the issue of blood had spent all her money on doctors to try to heal the ailment of her hemorrhaging, but she didn't get any better. In fact, she grew worse, it said. This this realm is where it all starts. Now, this is bad news for people who do not like going through difficulties. So for us to enter the kingdom of God, we must have faith, uh, like a child. And it must be great. But... It also is coupled with process that necessitates the cry for mercy, which is called tribulation. So for us to be able to be in a place to grow, we must go through trials, testing, difficulties, only through much tribulation, it says, can we enter the kingdom of God. So this is where it starts, our faith's development. It's like strength training. How do you get stronger? If you go to a gym, for instance, you can work out with weights to get stronger. It's the same with this. How does your faith grow? Well, you do not need faith for something you have. If it's the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen, then you will not even use it. In fact, if you have everything you need, your faith will atrophy, like muscles do when they're not used you have everything you need, if you're well provided for, if life is happy and a party and everything's going great and your body is healthy and you have a good job paying you more money than you can possibly spend and all of your friends are prospered and you know, I've seen people like this. I've never been one of them, but I've seen people like this that have everything working perfectly. They do not require any faith at all. So the faith they do have atrophies. So that when something does happen, they are devastated. When the slightest little, if they break a nail, and it's the end of the world. I've seen people freak out because they broke a nail into tantrums and crying. Why? Because their faith was so tiny. They had never developed it. It had never grown. Because the only way it can grow is by it being exercised. Just like the muscles of your body. I'm relatively strong. The reason I'm strong is because for many years I have used weight training to develop my strength. And when I do that, I know that it causes pain, it's difficult, I do not enjoy it. In fact, if you've ever been around me when I'm working out, I will even scream and holler. You've ever been to a gym, you know, where people, you know, they make that noise because it hurts. We have the expression, no pain, no gain. And that's how we grow muscles. You literally have to tear the muscle tissue in order for it to heal back larger than it was before. That's why after you work out, you're sore and stiff and it hurts. Oh, because it's muscles that you've not used before. And this is exactly what happens with faith. Faith is like a muscle for us. It must be exercised. We have to develop it. But the only way that we can do that is to go to the spiritual gym and work out. Yeah. Cool. And that's when trouble is coming into your life. It's when problems happen. That's when your perfect little a peaceful life starts to have problems, difficulties. Things don't work like they used to. Well, now you begin to cry out. Now, she's in a dire situation with her daughter suffering like this. So, she's asking. Faith that has not been worked out, is not strong, so she needs to grow. She needs to exercise. So, she is experiencing this horrible thing and she goes to Jesus. Also, you remember the man uh, with the epileptic son He went, they couldn't cast the demons out of his son, and so he asked Jesus to help his faith. He realized that my faith is missing something. Can you help me with this? But he was in a process. And that's the whole thing, is that we're all in a process. And we all understand that we have to develop this. So ask yourself how often you call out for mercy. Here's a little test. How often do the words come out of your mouth? Have mercy. Uh, I had a very strange dream last night. And in this dream, I was in a vehicle. It's a deep story. I won't go through the whole thing because the dream was very vivid. And the vehicle was driving down the road and I was driving and we were happy. Something happened. I lost control of the vehicle and went into darkness and you could feel the rocks and the bumps. We were driving through a mountainous region in the dream. And when we went off the road, it was boom, boom, boom. You could hear it, feel it bouncing and bouncing. And the next thing you know, I felt nothing. And I knew that... The vehicle in the dream was airborne. Now, in that moment, in the dream, I was lucid enough that the first words out of my mouth was, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. Because at that moment, you know there's absolutely nothing. What if I were cast off of a highway on a mountain pass into a ravine? I mean, I happen to understand the dynamics of terminal velocity and concussive force and what's going to happen when that car hits. You, you may not, probably will not survive just by reason of the fact that concussive force will slosh your brain matter, one side of your skull, and turn you out. Why so many people die in an airplane crash. I think, how could everybody die? It's just concussive force. So I, in thinking of this in the terms, in my dream, my instincts were mercy, have mercy. Because mercy is needed when things are out of your control. And this is the thing. If you want, now be careful with your prayers. Because people say, Lord, I want great faith. Watch it. Be really careful, okay, before you ask for that. Be happy with little faith for a while. Just slowly. You don't go to the gym and grab, you know, 200 kg of weights and start trying to bench press them if you're Nicole. (laughs) Maybe Joe can handle that. But Nicole, I I don't think she's going to be able to... You start off with lesser weight, right? Till you grow. That's how kind the Lord... The Lord is the best personal trainer I have ever met. Because he knows exactly what you can handle. He knows exactly how much that in the, the 15th... Fifteenth um, rep, rep, of the third set. He knows he's going to have to spot you a little bit. <laughs> if you worked out before, you know what I'm talking about. Where, you, where your arm starts doing that, your, that thing, and you just your arm. You watch your arm die. What's going on? And your friend spots you. He helps a little bit so you can finish it. That's what God is in our life. He's training us, teaches. Us, but next time we don't need his help as much because we get stronger and stronger. So times in the past where you cried out for mercy in the future you don't need it. Nobody in fact when somebody next to you in the same circumstances cries out for mercy, you're like, you wimp. <laughs> well, it's not. It's be like me in a gym. It's like me. I take Nicole with me to lift weights right now, right? And we go, come on, Nicole, lift it, lift it. Oh, you you're such a Baby, and I'm lifting weights and making fun of her. That's crazy. Just look at the sheer mass of her next to me. You know, it's a, I'm, I'm not picking on you because you're the smallest person in the room. It's just that you're about the smallest person in the room. <laughs> My grandson is left, so you're all this. <laughs> but you ask yourself, when do, when, do you, when do you cry out for mercy? At that moment, rejoice because you're in the gym, and that's where you're being developed. Now, let's look at the development of this woman, because I really like this story, and it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. We go to number two, and I ask you a question, does God ignore you? Because it says Jesus did not answer a word. Wow, that's harsh. This woman with a suffering daughter, uh, the King James says, grievously vexed by demon spirits, is coming to Jesus, crying out for mercy because she is determined that no one else can help her. She has done everything within her power. So she's coming pleading and begging for mercy from the Lord and she's asking for help, but Jesus is apparently ignoring her. Now this is seemingly a very rude response, or lack thereof, but on the part of Jesus. But actually I see something important here. Uh, we know that he's supposed to be a merciful God, and he is. Uh, we know that he's supposed to care for everyone and only show love and kindness. But once again, that is not going to help us. To always be kind is... is how many of you have ever heard of the term that someone, uh, someone can be spoiled? A spoiled child. We say a spoiled breath. Why? Because there's never any correction. It's always all oh, oh darling, there's always a reason. You ever see those kids standing in a tantrum screaming, What did the mommy say? Oh, he, he's tired. He's tar- No, he's bad. He's not tired. He's bad and undisciplined. Tantrums, you can correct tantrums, you can stop things from happening. So in the case of the of, of us with God, God sometimes he starts to get And first he lets us have all the tantrums we want, but when you grow, when you're a child, you thought as a child and act as a child, when you grow old, you put away childish things, Paul said. So you're developing and growing. Same in faith. Part of that is what God does, what he's doing with this woman here, seemingly ignoring her. The fact that he did not even seem to acknowledge her, it must have really made her sad. That's really disheartening when your only hope, this is all you have left, And you've heard of the miracles he can do. And you're going to him and saying, please, please, please. And he's showing you his back. Absolutely ignoring you. And I truly believe that Jesus was testing her resolve. And of course, I've taught this in the past. You've heard it before. But the question is, why would he do this, right? Why would he not answer her word? Did he often ignore people in the Bible? How many other stories do you see where he did this? The only one where Jesus doesn't answer a word. He speaks roughly sometimes to people, but they're mostly people that attacked him and they were asking for it, like the Pharisees. But everyone else that's coming to him in love, he's kind, sweet, and wonderful, but this is a different case because he has an agenda. And what's important about understanding the, the trying of your faith, the development of your faith so that it becomes great faith is that sometimes you will misunderstand what God is doing and your feelings will get hurt. I'm sure her feelings were hurt, and I'm sure that she felt like he was purposely ignoring her. In fact, he was purposely ignoring her, but the question is not whether he was ignoring her, but why? Because he could perceive in his infinite wisdom and sovereign power. I believe he knew exactly what was in her heart and what she was going through and what she needed for her faith to be elevated to a level of greatness sufficient enough to buy that miracle for her daughter. I say buy on purpose. Because the currency of the supernatural is faith. And if you have enough of it, there's nothing you can't buy. So the value of your faith has to increase. And that's exactly what is going on with her here so she's developing, she's growing, and he was in the process here of helping her to grow her faith's strength and intensity to such a level that it could give her what she wanted, the healing of her daughter. And perhaps in the moments of life where we feel that God is ignoring us, he's actually training us with a discipline not unlike that physical exercise that I mentioned. So don't be quick to jump to conclusions about God's motives. He's God in heaven. you man on earth. Just be patient. Think and, and just endure whatever he does in your life. And remember that we all have to grow. You know, running down the block is a far cry from running a marathon. I've had people, uh, I ran through the years for many years and I like exercise. And I was uh, there was a time that I was running um, uh, 10K a day, every day, constantly. And during that time... I remember young people would go run with me. Hey, old man, what you got? You know, like, you know, we can outrun you. And they would do that sprint, you know, and and I'm, okay, you want to run with me? Okay, get your shoes on, get your stuff, let's go. We're doing 10K. I ain't scared, you know, like all tough. And then they'd take off, run backwards, and like, you know, what you waiting for, old man? Come on. And I'd just keep my, I set my pace. uh, Ten minute miles, I got this. And I would just go and stay. And then, you know, after the first few kilometers, you could see they'd stop joking as much. And then they started suffering by the fourth, fifth kilometer. They're just trying to stay next to me and I'm I'm like just starting to break a little bit of a sweat. Why? Because I've developed, I've trained, I've gotten ready for that. There's a whole difference between a jot of just running down the block and a marathon. And I think God wants to get you ready for a marathon because the times will come in your life there's moments that will come in your life that you better be ready for be prepared seek the Lord while he may be found as your gym instructor Seek him when he's doing these things don't throw off the process of development the trials endure them with patience let patience have her perfect work, it says. Let's just say that your, your, your um, personal um, coach in the gym, his name is Patience, let patience have his perfect work in your life so that you could be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Let him train you. And this is, his, this is his school of hard knocks method of teaching. And the first level is ignore. Yeah, whatever. Talk to the hand. And she's back there asking, wanting, hoping. So this is what happens when you're praying. You're begging God. Oh, Lord God. How many of you have ever cried out to God? And you wait for the great response and for the beams of sunlight to come down on you. (laughs) And the angels to descend in the room. And you open your eyes and there's nothing there at all. You don't hear anything. You don't feel anything. And he does not answer a word. How I many of you have ever prayed long-term, day after day after day, week after week, and he just seems like he's ignoring you? First of all, he's not ignoring you for the reasons that you think. The Bible speaks about something very important, a principle that repeats itself, the principle of persistence. Just keep on knocking. If he knocks and keeps on knocking, the door will be open. If he asks and keeps on asking, the question will be answered. But it might not be right away. It might take some time. And I think about this number three. What stops you from getting your answer? Well, there's many things to try and stop you from getting your answer. In fact, there is nothing that can stop you from getting your answer. It might delay the process, but nothing can stop you if you have faith. And it just has to wait until your faith matures. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. For she keeps crying out after us. Now here, the woman, obviously being ignored by Jesus, what do you do? Well, you turn to his right and left. The people who before were asking to take the right and left positions at his side—they're not so happy about it now because it comes with these deals that you have to deal with this woman, who's driving them crazy. They don't really understand. They can't really have compassion on her or understand what she's going through. Actually, they're in a happy state. The disciples were irritated at the, her, her performance. And what she's doing, whining and complaining, Jesus is ignoring her, but they couldn't seem to turn a deaf ear to her whining. It was irritating them, because she kept asking, kept asking, which proves that she was biblically thinking and acting, according to the terms that Jesus gives. She's not giving up. She's asking and asking and asking. She keeps crying out after us. And they're not ignoring her, they're telling her, I'm sure they're saying, look lady, stop, alright, can't you see he's ignoring you? But she keeps going, and going, and going, I'm sure they've pleaded with her to stop it. So finally, it's like when two children are bickering and fighting in the car in the back seat, and they want to play with the same toy, and they finally get frustrated, what do they say? Daddy, make him give me the car! You know, they make daddy do it, listen, they turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, make her stop it. She's irritating me. And she kept on going and going and going. And it seems like the people that surround us in life are often not sympathetic to our cause. Because they're believers like she is, right? They're all on the road. They don't have at this current moment the kind of needs that she has. But they're all following Jesus. They're all learning. They have a good deal right now. Even Jesus said, You know, while, while the bridegroom is with the bride, there will be no fasting. So they're eating, drinking, and, and being happy. They're living miracles. I mean, this is a happy time, but He did warn them the day will come, though, that the, the bridegroom is going to be uh, taken away from you. Then you'll fast because they could no, not have grown further if that didn't happen, according to this process. But here, they're not very sympathetic, and this is what happens. People around us all the time, they don't seem to really understand what we're going through, and so they try to stop us. They give us bad counsel. They tell us the wrong things. They tell us things like, well, maybe God doesn't want that for you. Maybe it's not God's will. What if What if it's not God's will? And they have all these negative ideas Nobody talking that Job was right. They were all wrong. God came and just, he, he categorically rebuked each one of them for their ignorance. But they were, the whole book is counseling from them that turned out to be some of it right, some of it wrong, but those are your contemporaries. So really the disciples and this woman are contemporaries. And she knows better than to listen to their counsel. Because she has her eyes set on one thing and one thing only, and that's Jesus. And even though Jesus is ignoring her, she's still pressing in, still pressing in, still pressing in. I like um, what it says in Matthew 6.6, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 2 Corinthians fourteen. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen since what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. The things of this life including the personalities of people and their opinions and their ideas are often part of this world system. Keep your eyes on the eternal Keep your eyes on Jesus. Stay focused on Jesus. Discouragement is going to try to come, but that is the added weight to your barbells when you're working out. So that you can keep your eyes focused. Keep focused. Keep going forward. Number four. Not all that God says is what he means. I want you to think about this statement. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Not really. If you think about it, he had already interacted with a lot of Gentiles and provided for them already. We're in the 15th chapter of Matthew. He's already done miracles for others. So he's not saying this as a law to say that you will not receive what you need because you are not a Jew. He's saying it in general. It's almost just like a rhetorical phrase. He said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, wink, wink. (laughs) Because it's not always what God says or what we believe He's saying. It's not always what He means when He says it. And I've found this to be true through the years. Uh, Jesus, He makes this blanket statement about not wanting to do something for, but He He tells her this, but it's really because he's instigating something in her. This is not uncommon in the Bible. Think about Elijah and Elisha. It was the plan of God for Elisha, the understudy of Elijah, to receive the anointing that would come from that mantle after Elijah was taken in the fiery chariot. That was God's purpose. That was God's plan. I'm sure everybody agrees with me. That was exactly the destiny of Jehovah God, for Elisha was to receive the anointing that would come out of Elijah when Elijah left. Yes. And Elijah already knew that he had to be there with him to get it, but yet he still tried to throw him off his trail. Stay here. I have to go on uh, to Gilgal. I think he was just making up places. i, I got to go over here. I, I have to go to Sabawa. All right, so you stay here in Bishon. I'm going to go visit George and Valerie, and I'm going to go up there, and you just stay here. No, not on your life. I'm going with you. Because he knew. He knew in his heart. He knew. Although his mentor, his spiritual authority, his leader, his pastor, that's what Elijah was to him, was telling him, no, stay here. Stay with the sons of the prophets. But three times he tried to get him to stop following. But, so we see this pattern again. Why? What was Elijah doing? I don't think Elijah knew a whole lot of what he was doing. I think he was just a pawn in the hands of God. But I think God knew what he was doing. Because I've been used like that to try to dissuade people from doing God's will. Because he's blinded me from his heavenly counsel and all I'm left with is my natural mind. And people will ask me for counsel, and I will have to stipulate very clearly and parenthetically that I, I'm speaking just what I think, okay? This is not a thus saith the Lord. But, you know, I kind of think of it like this. And even when I'm saying it, I feel like this isn't right. <laughs> this is just me talking. And so I will then say again, and in parentheses, and say, or at the, the end of the quotations, that this. You know, this is just me. This I, I'm just saying. It might not be. I don't know. You need to pray and ask God. Because I didn't know. But I knew I was saying. Remember the prophets in the Bible? The prophet was told by God, don't look to the right or the left. Don't stop. Don't go do your mission and come back. And the prophet went to him and said, God told me to tell you that's not true, but come to my house. And God set that up to test to see whether he would do that or not. So we are in test. We are in a process. Same with God and Moses. Uh, We see this again and again. There are moments in life when everyone is telling you what cannot be done, and it may seem that God Himself is telling you not to do it or believe for it. You understand? And Yet you know, down in your heart, something inside of you, like this woman, is telling her, I know what he's saying, but that's not what I feel inside. She's not accepting it. First of all, I want you to consider from whom she's not accepting it the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. She knows that he's all powerful, she knows that he has the anointing, she knows he's the blessed of the Father. And she's believing and she knows there's no higher authority. And he's just said that it's not going to happen. But she believes something inside of her heart. These moments are designed to test us in just the same manner that Jesus is testing this woman. So don't fail the test. By the way, most do fail the test. Most do. But I would put it up at about 90%. I don't want to discourage you, but I'm telling you what I've seen. I've seen people processed by God. I've seen people called to do great things by God. And maybe one in ten actually go on to fulfill what God called them to do. I always think about my graduating class from Bible school. Of those 30 people that stood on that stage, there's only two people left doing the missions work that we're doing today, me and my wife. That's a big statistic. That's, that's above 10%. And that happens. Why? Because the process sometimes becomes too laborious, too difficult, too tiring. We grow weary and we don't want to endure it. So we back off and the Bible says, he who puts his hand to the plow looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. This woman is not taking her hand off this plow. No matter what she hears. Don't fail the test. Most do, but I'm, I'm believing that you're not going to fail the test. But it does not matter what I do. It's irrelevant to your life. I can believe all I want. I can fast. I can pray. I can kneel in glass pieces and cry out to God for you. I can beat myself on the back for you. I can do anything. I can light incense and burn candles. It is irrelevant to you and your life. You have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You have to develop your faith, your ministry. It's your faith that's going to do everything. All I can do is say, don't quit. And tell you stories about the times I haven't quit. That's about it. Number five, asking in humility. And then humility is so important. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now this is a whole other level of insult. It's one thing to say. It's one thing to ignore her. It's another thing to say, I'm not sent, but to Jews only. And now, he elevates it to this level and says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And I picture him pointing at for the dogs. An insult, because that's what he's saying. She's asking for something, he's not willing to give her, and he's referring to her as a dog. Now, I have a great deal of pride in my life, I'm going to be honest. And at this point, whenever I read this, I don't know if I could have handled this. I would have been on my knees. Please, Master, please, please do this thing for me. Well, you know, it's not right that I'd be giving the crumbs to a dog. I probably would have got up and, well, you know what? Keep just thinking of Because of pride. Because I've seen people do it. They can't go through that process. I thank God that his mercy has been on me. And I know, well, because it was Jesus, she's talking to Jesus, she said, no, I've seen people in situations. Well, guess what? The way we relate is with people. The way we grow is in relationships with people. Jesus is here, but he is embodied in people, talking to us. Whatever you do to the least of these, you do unto him and So that's how he speaks to us. That's how he acts with us. And sometimes people mistreat us. Some people will criticize us. But you have to ask yourself the question what are your eyes set on? What are you looking to do? Are you looking to reach the goal? If you are, you will endure anything. And this is, of course, requiring a great deal of humility. She knelt down and asked in humility before Jesus after having been rebuked again and again by the disciples, after having been ignored by Jesus. And actually, this this required humility and audacity combined. She had to have a combination of the two. So she she made it past the defenses of men that were surrounding Jesus. She made it past Jesus ignoring her. Now, she's going to make it past these criticisms. She's just going to hang in there. She's going to keep going. In her mind, she knew that Jesus could and would heal her daughter and therefore, there was no other alternative acceptable for her. That's it. Jesus is the one. I don't care what he says. I don't care what happens. Whatever. Not on your life. No matter what, Elijah, I'm following you. Finally, he said, he asked Elijah, what do you want from me? I want a double portion of what you have. He didn't just think about that on the spot. He had that plan for probably years. As long as he'd been with Elijah, as soon as he heard that he would become prophet in his place, he probably said, well, that's great, but I want two times what." And started praying for that, asking for that. So we see this woman. This is faith in her. She refused to accept that he would not do this for her. This is faith incrementally increasing in her. So you see its strength developing. Faith brought her to Jesus to begin with. Faith grew when the people around Jesus opposed her. And she did not listen to. Faith grew further when Jesus apparently told her no two times. Now her faith is not going away. It's getting stronger and stronger and stronger because it's being exercised and she's growing in her faith. Faith reaches its strongest point, ascending to the realms of greatness as she reasons with Jesus. Number six, reasoning and humility. He says these things to her. Her response is, well, it's not true. I'm not a dog. No, yes, it is, Lord, she said. Basically, she's saying, I'll be a dog. You want me to be a dog? I can be a dog. No problem. I don't mind. Because this is what I know. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. This is the turnaround moment in her life. This is the moment that that... no matter how hard Jesus was trying not to smile, you know that when you're trying to be serious with your children about something, you're scolding them and they're just too, too darn cute and you're trying not to smile and you're pulling the smile off your face and and it ruins it. I think this is where it was ruined for Jesus. When she said that, she just caught up in his face. Yeah, I might be a dog, but you know what? Even the dog's eat. Little crumbs that fall from the master's table, and Jesus, <clears throat> uh, you got me with that. She crossed that line, and it took a lot of faith. So, reasoning, she's thinking in her head, reasoning with Jesus caused her to penetrate uh, the veil, of you with the veil of the distinction between ignorance and knowledge of who Jesus was and what he could do, that he knew he was not hidden from. She uncovered him. She exposed him. And he liked it. She knows who I am. Wow. She got it. When I, when I saw this in a vision years ago, I've shared this passage in another message I've shared many times about our, our faith being tested. And it was a vision I had when God brought me into a trance in Indonesia. And I saw this played out like a movie. Just like I'm looking at you, I saw this... This is the moment when, when she did that. She was down cowering away from him. He turned over her and she rose from a squatting position up into his face and got that close to his face in the vision I saw and said these words. Even the dogs eat the crumbs of Paul at the master's table. And when she said it, gold light flashed over her face. And it was so bright in the vision that Jesus' face Shining like when someone's looking at a handphone and you can tell the light shines on their face. The light that came out of her shined on Jesus and Jesus recognized it. Because it was the glory of his eternal home. Because faith comes from only one place. It is not earthly. It comes from above, from the Father of lights. And he gives us a little piece of it. But if we can just work with it, develop it, strengthen it, and grow it, it will become bright and strong enough to luminesce through us. And this is exactly what happens in this moment. This is the moment when Jesus was able to see the magnitude of her faith shine out of her. Out of her reasoning came conclusions about the outcome of her life. That she saw her daughter free... She saw her daughter healed and and she saw it so clearly that it was a virtual impossibility for it not to happen. She was completely convinced. And no matter what you told this hard-headed woman, it didn't matter. Because faith will do that. Faith will make you insane. Faith will cause you to not even logically think about life. You won't see logic. You won't see truth. You start to walk by it and no longer by sight. Doesn't matter what you see. Doesn't matter. Though someone's dead, now they're sleeping. Because facts no longer matter to you. It doesn't matter because you believe impossible things. And God gets excited. Jesus starts to applaud in that moment. Because finally, somebody in his creation, you understand, that's why he created us. He made us to be able to become that, do that, show that, live that. And when he finally sees it, he's so proud that his creation has finally reached the level that we can show him. Daddy, we're like you. And that's exactly what happens in this moment. She shows Jesus. Jesus is not afraid of reasoning. God's not afraid. You know, Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now, let us reason together. That's exactly what happened. Judges 6, you know the story of um, um, Gideon. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Opa that belonged to Joash the Abizorite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat and winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, uh, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why is all this happening to us? That's an argument. He's arguing with an angel. He's reasoning. God's not afraid of people with an opinion. He's not afraid of people with an opinion. In fact, He likes it. This woman has an opinion. And she's expressing what she felt in her heart. And these were honest words. He goes on, he even says... You know, that, pardon me, but why is this happening? Where are all those wonders that our ancestors told us about? When they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of... He heard about the plagues. He heard the stories of the Red Sea. Just like we read the Bible. In his time, at this moment, he'd never seen anything. Just like some of us in this room. We've not really seen any real miracles. We just know it says it. That's exactly where he was at. But this was the beginning of miracles for him. The beginning of miracles, through Gideon to vindicate and deliver the Israelites from the oppression of the enemy came when he asked hard questions to the angel or to God himself. Oh yeah, so a mighty warrior, right, huh? Why am I hiding? Why this? How come you're not doing the things you did back then? What's going on? How many of you have ever asked questions like that? God, why don't you heal like you healed then? Who's to say that he won't or that he can't? Because he did deliver miraculously Gideon. Because he was somebody that... That insisted on arguing with God. Now, I don't want to argue with God, I'm afraid of God. Well, you may never get what you're looking for. He loves you, His creation, talking to him in that way. He wants to be in a dialogue with you, just like this woman. So do not confuse faith with fearlessness and courage, by the way. Faith is not courage. Faith is not fearlessness. You can be petrified and have faith. You can be scared of many things, but still have faith. You can can not be courageous and still have faith. People will think, well, but she's so courageous, she's so strong. No, she's insistent is what she is. She's hard-headed. She's obstinate. And, And she's not taking no for an answer. And as a result, She has this moment, and finally, number seven, we end with this. Great faith comes by persistence. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. We don't know that the daughter was there with her. Could have been back home, whatever. Later on, she probably ascertained the exact time that her daughter suddenly was no longer possessed by spirits. But was set free. And it coincided with this exact moment. And there's only two people in the scriptures that have been able to be given this title and said, that's great faith. The other one was the centurion. The centurion um, understood who Jesus was, understood his authority. It says, "Ah, just like me, I'm a a commander. What I say, I say to this one, go and he goes, that one, come and he comes, do this, do that. They do it, they obey. So it is with you, I know who you are. Because he understood and had that faith, he turned to his disciples and said, see this guy? That's great faith. I've not found faith like this nowhere in Israel. He's talking to his own disciples in that embarrassing moment. You guys, you, you can't even do this. Look at this man. Do you want to develop great faith? Do you want it? It's it's just kind of like saying, do you want to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger? <laughs> You know, you want to do you want to look like The Rock? That's a big, beautiful man. He did not become that way just, you know, by sitting down, eating potato chips and watching ESPN. He he became that way by a lot of hard work. Great people of faith, they spend a lot of time in the spiritual gymnasium. They spend a lot of time working out, constantly being developed, and they don't back off. In fact, they say, "God, uh, thank you that I'm now able to finish this third set to the 15th rep. Looks like it's time to add some weight. And God, the personal trainer, he puts a little bit more weight on there, and a little bit more weight, and a little bit more weight, and then we get stronger and, stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger, and it does not stop until we die. I tell you, Billy Graham continued to grow in faith to the moment he left this place moment he went away, continued to grow. I've known men of God, I've seen them preach, and then come back a year later and preach, and they were more than they were a year before. They keep growing, they keep growing, they keep growing, and the weight's getting, it's also corresponding with that growth. They, their stories are more and more outrageous. More difficulties, more trials. We think of preachers like T.D. Jakes, all great ministry, the Potters. Uh, House that church and his ministry, his television ministry, the most um, most lucrative ministry in the United States of America. We can point at that and say that, but you have to hear his stories of what he went through to be where he is. All the years when he had nothing. In the gym, training and training and training. Every man of God that go through every woman of God, all of us. If we want to grow. We're going to have to go through a process. This woman wanted, she needed it, she pushed through, her faith grew, and if we follow the steps of this woman, we too can grow in strength and faith and eventually be seen as one with great faith. I want that reputation, and I want you to have that reputation. I would love that God looks at you and says, see, that's great faith. I want you to do something one day for God that makes God say, oh, okay, now that, that's great faith. I want to impress God. I really do. I would love to impress Him. There are moments in my life, honestly, I've done things that have impressed Him and He was very happy with it. it, But it was very severe, very extreme. I had to just basically give up everything and just lay everything down. Just so happens I've done it again and again and again and I lay things down and go on. I believe, I hope, and every time I do that, the next level of my life is more difficult than the last. But I keep growing incrementally, just like we're all going to grow. Amen. These are the seven steps that we saw. Number one, a cry for mercy. Everything starts there. There can be no developmental um, process in your faith and its strength without starting for the need to cry for mercy. You're going to have to be put in a circumstance to have to say mercy. And if not, then you're not even in the gym. Not working out at all. You're just relaxing. And there will be no development, no growth. In fact, you will, as I say, atrophy. You will grow weaker and weaker and weaker, and you run the risk of not even being able to believe that Jesus is real anymore. To so the base elements of your belief, and I've seen it happen. People stop going to church. People stop connecting to the body of Christ, and eventually, it becomes easy for them to even deny that their experience was valid, and they go back into the world. Heartbreaking, but I've seen it again and again because they were not yielding to the process of the development and the strengthening. And does God ignore you? Yes, he does. But the question really is why? Because he wants you to grow. What stops you from getting your answer? Well, mostly people are trying to stop you. A lot of people who don't get their answers because they listen to the people who stop them. But if you know in your heart, like she knew, you have to continue. Not all that God says is what he means. I mean, you think about the Apostle Paul, who was told by the prophet Agabus, took his own belt off, wrapped up his hands and told the Apostle Paul and the people with him that they will bind you and tie you up and throw you in the prison and mistreat you if you go to that city. Most of us would take that as a warning not to go. Paul was like, okay, that's just going to get me ready. That's good, that's another level in the gymnasium. And he went and endured it and sure enough it happened just like the prophet told him it would. Sometimes God tells you things to prepare you not so that you can avoid it. The personal trainer will tell you, well, okay, next week we're going to start a whole new regimen. Uh, i got more weights. We're going to put you on some model equipment. Uh, we're going to do some serious swimming. I'm going, to, you can, I'm going to work you up to 50 laps a day. And you're like, no, I don't want to do that. And you can end up like just resigning your membership to the gym or not going anymore. I find that a lot of people do that, extending by natural. So we're going to see, not all that God says is what He means. Asking is humility or in humility, asking in humility like she did. She knelt down. Reasoning in humility, She even when she was told that she would not get it, she insisted. And finally, great faith comes by persistence. Amen? Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.